Hey everyone, before this podcast begins, we want to tell you about some other arts-related podcasts you're going to love. They are The Conduit Music Podcast, Artsville, Gringo and the Man, Art World Horror Stories, and Not Real Art. On these action-packed podcasts, you'll hear experts talk about creativity, design, the music biz, the art world, visual art, American craft, Chicano art, street art, graffiti, and even stand-up comedy. So be sure to find and follow these great arts podcasts today. Now, back to your regularly scheduled programming. Warning, the Not Real Art Podcast is intended for creative audiences only. The Not Real Art Podcast celebrates creativity and creative culture worldwide. It contains material that is fresh, fun and inspiring and is not suitable for boring old art snobs. Now, let's get started and enjoy the show. Greetings and salutations, my creative brothers and sisters. Welcome to the Not Real Art Podcast, where we talk to the world's most creative people. I am your faithful, trusty, loyal, tireless, relentless host, Sourdough, coming at you from Crew West Studio in Los Angeles. Man, do we have a great show for you today. We're going to be talking to Y Hope Osborne, one of our 2022 grant winners, and uh, you're going to love her story, so stay tuned for that. Before we get into it, I want to course, as always, tell you to go to notrealart.com, our website and blog, where you're going to find a lot of good, healthy stuff we got for you. We're always talking about amazing artists and their art, and we have some incredible resources as well for artists that are free. So please go to notrealart.com and check out all the great stuff that we've got for you there. Of course, like and subscribe this episode. Please share it with your friends uh, on social and uh, leave us a comment. It makes the algorithm gods happy, which is good for us. So thanks for that. As always, please call the hotline. We want to hear from you. Tell us what's on your mind. Tell us what we're doing right. Tell us what we're doing wrong. Talk dirty to us. I don't care. (laughs) Tell us a joke. The hotline is 833-668-7325. Again, 833-668-7325. All right, let's get into this. And here From our grand winner, Hope Osborne, and she was one of our 2022 class of winners for our grant, and Hope hails from uh, Texas originally, but now resides in Little Rock, Arkansas. She is a writer, a photographer, digital artist. She, of course, began making art, as so many artists do, as a young child, but a, a life of trauma and hardship and some health conditions have really made Hope story, an inspiring one, as she has transcended and triumphed over these tough times. Now she is a freelance professional author and artist writing stories and making a beautiful photography. And we're just so grateful for her and love her story and appreciate her and grateful that she's part of our Not Real Art family here in Los Angeles. So without further ado, let's hear from Hope. I know you're tired of hearing me, so let's get into this uh, really great conversation that I really enjoyed having with Hope Osborne. So without further ado, here we go. (laughs) 
Good morning, Hope. Welcome to the Not Real Art Podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me, Scott. Oh, my goodness. I'm so happy to have you on. It's a new year, and last year was an exciting year for you, in part because you won our 2022 Not Real Art Grant for Artists. Congratulations. Yes, thank you so much. I really appreciate that, and I appreciate being here with you today. When I called you that day to tell you that you had won, where were you? Do you remember what was going on that, that at that moment? I believe I was here at home, which is usually where I am these days. And I think I remember seeing it. And before I even heard from you, because I don't know what it was, I usually tend to try to forget that I've applied for something. And still to see, you know, so I'm just surprised if it comes up. And I just remember you calling about it and just being really surprised. I was really surprised that I had won the grant and so excited. Well, we were thrilled for you and, and we're thrilled still and just grateful to have you as part of our 2022 Not Real Art class of grant winners. And, you know, you join four years worth of classes now. I think we have, what is it, 12, see, 18, 24, 30 winners now over the last four years. So it's a wonderful group of humans. And this year was quite special because all of our winners were women, which was amazing. Yes, it is. And all of our winners were, or most of our winners were across the country from the West Coast to the East Coast and in the middle And historically, we've had a lot of, because we're based out of Los Angeles, historically, many of our winners have, as we've grown, really initially, we're in LA or California. And last couple of years, as we've grown, we've we've gotten winners across the US. And it's lovely to see that, you know, see all all the ladies win this year, to have the winners be spread out across the country. And uh, you, my friend, are representing Little Rock, Arkansas. Yes, sort of. I am actually originally from Texas <laughs> and still prefer to be thought of as a Texan, even though I've lived probably 50-50 in Arkansas, 50-50. But, you know, Little Rock is really actually a pretty great city. It's not what people typically think of as Arkansas, South, Backwoods. It's forward and we have a fine arts, Arkansas Fine Arts Museum that's being just built over again with this wonderful design. And we have art walks and galleries and everything. So it's, like I said, it's pretty forward in what people might think of as Arkansan. Well, yeah, yeah. And I appreciate all that. That's great. But I want to go back to what you said. I mean, you're from Texas and don't mess with Texas. I mean, you know, I, I get it, right? My friends from Texas what I've learned about that, there's so much pride when it comes to Texans and their state and taxes. So yeah, so to say now that you're representing Arkansas, that that might have <laughs> that, that might have <laughs> rubbed a good Texan the wrong way. <laughs> well, you know, we come. Hey, I Texans might have chapped your ass, Hope. <laughs> <laughs> Texans really come from a history of being independent, and we created our own republic from the very beginning, basically. And fought our way into that. And so, yeah, there's there's a proud history there. I love it. I love it. How long have you been in Little Rock now? 
2007 is when I moved here. Okay. When I was growing up, I spent half my time in Texas, half in Arkansas, and I moved to Texas for a long while and moved over here. Got you, got you. Well, this podcast isn't about me, it's about you, but I will say that on my uh, dad's side, we have some uh, connections to Arkansas so uh, and Texas, for that matter. My, my dad was stationed in Colleen, Texas at Fort Hood uh-huh. years ago in the 60s, but anyway... I am so thrilled that you and I are able to connect uh, here and talk about your, you're not just winning the grant, of course, but talking about your, because you've won the grant because you're an amazing artist. So we're here to talk about your arts, your art practice, your journey as an artist. How old were you, Hope, when you realized you were an artist? (laughs) Uh, I realized I was an artist in 2019. Oh, interesting. Well, I never had art classes. I never had any art education, but I grew up with a camera in my hand, starting with a 110 millimeter camera where you had to use film and buying film was precious. So you don't get it a lot. And then it took a while to get the film, but there wasn't a whole lot of artsiness to it. It was just me more recording things. I don't know what motivated me except that I just wanted to capture moments. Moments slip by so fast and your memory slips by so fast, but a photograph can last for centuries we've seen and record moments and tell us things about life and history and people that sometimes our memories don't. Right. That is true. And our memories will fool us, right? I mean, our memories, it's amazing to me how I'll think I remember something correctly, only to be (laughs) corrected by someone or something. And a photograph, at least, is a frozen moment, right? And arguably, the viewer is able to see the truth of that moment. Yes, to the degree they can. There's some things that are lost. I know I realized when I was on one of my photography jaunts in the Ozarks, then I realized I was thinking of Ansel Adams and I was thinking, I don't get to hear what he hears. So there's some parts that are missing. So I actually started recording the visual and audio of waterfalls and water falling on trees and things like that as a result of that. Now, what are some of the things you've done with the audio that you've recorded? Well, I've collected them so far and I've started to edit them down to like one minute slots. And what I plan to do is I have a YouTube channel and I have various things on it, including a thing of good comedians, good comedians if you want to laugh. But I want to put these recordings of these sound effects on there for people to be able to listen to and to watch because it's soothing to me being in the woods alone and hearing the wind blow through the leaves and the rain coming down and watching the leaves fall and change color and everything. That's my peaceful place. That is where I'm most free of all the tightness I feel sometimes in the city. So the environment for you is very important, it sounds like. You just talked about the city 
making you feel a bit, a bit uptight. Talk a little bit about that. How does environment shape your work? I grew up in a very, let's just say I had a traumatic experience growing up in childhood. And one of the things that I would do to escape that is to go off into the woods that we had for part of our property. And I would sometimes take a book to read and I started getting into learning about the different plants and botanical names and finding out the flowers that came in season certain ways. And it's created in me a love and that I do landscapes and wildflower pictures. In fact, I actually have a little getaway right here on my street. I call it the wild side of Brookside drive Mm -hmm. because on one side you have all these apartments and we're in the middle of the city but on the other side is this bit of wildness and woods with a grassy flat creek down at the bottom that's just crystal clear little shallow bubbly creek and there's all summer long in this new place that I had been in I took in my breathing because I uh, got pneumonia in January and it has affected my breathing since then. And so I would take these short walks with my camera in hand and I would take pictures of the flowers. And when I am in that environment, I just forget about all the stress and the bad health and everything. And the part of my process, I guess, is it's a gateway to escape stress. Yes. It's a way, yes. It's a, it's freedom. No, I totally get that because nature for me has always been a, a, an escape hatch to be able to get out and, and connect with the universe and what is true and pure man-made environments like the city, like a city, like any city. It's not a natural environment. It's a man-made environment. And I've personally found that nature is a, is a really therapeutic escape hatch for me. That's good. I think really a lot of people, if they don't already feel that, would feel that way, except for some of those that maybe are a bit afraid of being out in the woods because of whatever spookiness they they might feel. And I understand that. And oh, where, werewolves, where, werewolves, hope, hope, <laughs> it's the werewolves, it's the werewolves. Bigfoot and things like that. And yeah, see, uh, never- yeah, the Yeti. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess for me, there's always been something else that's scarier than anything that could be in the woods or has been in the woods for me. I think my love of documenting Arkansas barns that have turned into abstract roundup pieces, it's part of the country still. You don't have the famous architects building these concrete, tall skyscraper type things. You have this barn that's part of history. And that's, you know, I go back to that love of capturing a moment because these barns aren't going to be around forever, but they do stand. Some of them stand for so much longer than anything around them. The house can be gone. The land could be just overgrown and the barn still stands. And there's so individual and unique and we never know who the architects are so there's sort of a a mystery about them and they're behind the scenes so they're quiet so they're kind of 
part of that being part of nature and the country and part of the landscape and just being present in it. Indeed, indeed. So clearly your camera has sort of been your trusty tool, if you will, but you're a writer as well. How does nature come to life in your writing? I've written and published several pieces that I can speak very descriptively in a way that maybe paints a picture for people reading about the snow crunching below your feet or the wood violets, the purple flowers and the leaves and heart shapes bobbing their heads and everything. And actually, a lot of my writing combines my photography with it. So I do photo essays, usually about nature and the wild and everything, when I do them together. Oh, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Do do you write poetry as well, or is it primarily narrative prose? I've written probably three poems in my life, and I wouldn't dare to repeat them, (laughs) (laughs) which is really odd. The world will never know. (laughs) That's right. You will never know. (laughs) But that's, it's actually kind of odd because I listen to alternative music, which is so much poetry and just the thoughts and feelings, the words, it's fulsome poetry to set to music. And I love singing to that music, but then you won't find one poetry book. And that's not because I have anything against it. It's just because it doesn't resonate with me. And like I said, it's odd because listening to music, singing to music with lyrics that is poetry itself, I love. So most of my, well, actually all of my writing is nonfiction. Mm -hmm. I've not been one to write fiction stories. I write a lot about trauma and to make people aware because I really want people to, there's this, you know, everybody says, see something, say something. Well, it just applies everywhere, including in seeing a child who may or may not be exhibiting signs, who there's just little hints of things that could warn people that this child is in trouble. And, you know, and I grew up being the perfect student teacher's pet, straight A's, being picked to be in a play because of my personality being just serene and everything. And yet at home, it was madness, basically. So I write about that. So people will step up maybe a little sooner, you know, than Mm. what they might, because you can't take it back. You just can't. And it affects you for the rest of your life. So I write about that and I write about the things that bring peace to me. And that's Mm. the land and woods in particular. Yeah. Without getting into the trauma specifically, I mean, I think so many people listening will take heed and be inspired by what you're saying, because I feel like there are so many people, myself included, who are grappling with traumatic experiences and whatever that means to them. And 
overcoming that, transcending that, pushing past that is so hard sometimes. And when what's so beautiful and hopeful and inspirational, but what you're talking about is on some level, you're talking about your healing, you're talking about the power of art to heal, to lift up and elevate. And I hope someone listening today really takes that to heart. Yes. I am sorry, Scott, that you had to go through whatever you had to go through, whatever traumatic experience that was. I think my art too is, and I've written this in my artist statements sometimes, is that my art has become my way to play. Because Mm -hmm. as a child, I was so stifled by abuse that I didn't know how to play. I didn't know how to be a child. And so you put these toys in front of me and I'm like, well, they're just things and I'm supposed to do what with them and it make any sense or mean anything in my world. So now I have this freedom, even in bad health and in still dealing with trauma and everything, I have this freedom to be creative and play in my art, whether it's in my digital abstract art or it's in finding a creative perspective of an old building and bringing out the vivid texture and rich tonality of a black and white image. Yeah. Just the act of creation, right? The act of creativity, whether you're shooting a gorgeous black and white photograph or whether you're drawing with your kids or coloring with Mm -hmm. your kids, just that act, right, of creativity, of creation, of play is just so powerful. You know this, I know this, (laughs) so many people listening to this podcast know this, but you just want to tell the world to give it a try, right? Talk about tragedy. I mean, that's really tragic, right? To think that there are millions, if not billions of people on the planet that think that creativity, creation, art, making art isn't for them. Right. Because for whatever reason, we've created such a mystique around art making and art that that builds a wall and a barrier for people. And yet it's such a powerful force for good. And yeah, so we got to we got to spread the good news, Hope. Yes. And you're right about being a mystique for a lot of people that we've kind of created this wall somehow because I have my friends who love my art, but they are afraid to say what they think or feel about it because they're afraid of saying the wrong thing. And I try to tell them there is no wrong thing. It's what you feel. There's two sides to every work of art. It's the creator and what they felt and thought and the process and the life that came through. And there's the perceiver, the one who has their own life experiences and can take away from that image anything that they want. And so I just try to encourage my friends to just say what you want. And I've become a little bit more adept at creating a little bit more mystery in what I say about my artwork because I realized that I needed to leave that opening for people to decide for themselves what it meant. Yeah. And I I love that. And I think that that's part of the problem too, right? Is that people, we've done a horrible job, right? Of empowering people to understand that their opinion matters, no matter what they think or feel, as long as they're feeling something, 
And as long as they're in touch with their feelings, I mean, you know, I was talking to an artist a while back and we were talking about how like the worst comment really ever any artist can get about their work would be that someone feels indifferent about it, right? Like love it, hate it, but feel something, you know, right? <laughs> right? right. And trusting one's feelings. You know, I was, I was talking to my friend yesterday, there was a story on NPR this week it was an audio thing. It was like a mini, almost like a mini podcast, like 18 minutes. And this woman, a journalist, was talking to art historian and a museum director and uh, I think a curator as well. And the whole topic uh, of the article was how to look at art. And it was such a beautifully written and beautifully produced and all that. But the content itself was so rudimentary. But it spoke to this exact thing, this fear that people have that they can't trust themselves to go to a museum, look at art, like there's some science or some magic or some really complicated thing around how to look at art and how to understand how you feel about art. And I just I kind of got a little depressed after I was listening to this radio story because I thought, my God, we're even worse off than I thought (laughs) if if, if, if NPR feels like they've got to put out a a story that encourages people to go to a museum and look at art. It really struck me. And as kids, we don't have that problem. Right. As kids, we're just generally free and, and open and we say whatever we say and damn the torpedoes. We don't care. But somehow as we get older and and the world crushes us or begins to crush us, we lose that spirit. Yeah. And I think part of that is this, as much good as STEM is doing, it's leaving out some things. For example, it doesn't give you some of the tools you need to actually use what you do with the science and all that, like writing I can't tell you how many people come out of high school that cannot write. And if you're doing anything in science or anything just to explain it or to talk about it, to write about it, you need that. And you need art to just bring new light to things and to get in touch with your feelings to say why something really is important to you. And so I can get on a soapbox all day long about how schools are not teaching writing. And that really gets to me because it's just as important. Well, what we're not, I mean, it's even worse than that, isn't it? I mean, because if you're not teaching writing, you're not teaching thinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Yes. Because to write is to think. And to think in, you know, you, you can think and not write, but I mean, at the end of the day, writing nurtures thinking, it strengthens one's ability to think clearly and think creatively, think persuasively. And we, I guess, have decided as a society, as a culture, that we don't want people thinking well or, or clearly or independently or critically. We just want them to apparently be able to code computer software because Plenty of code writing going on, it seems. A lot of focus on tech. Right. The liberal arts has really taken a hit. And, you know, the truth of the matter is liberal arts teaches you how to think. If you're, you know, a real liberal arts education, and I don't mean liberal in the political sense. I'm talking about liberal arts teaches people how to think, people how to put skills and techniques and tools and talent in their mind and their fingertips. 
And we've just decided that, you know what? No, we just want to get people through, to study for the test, to pass the test so that they can go into huge debt, going to college. And then they've got to work their whole lives to pay the debt and the interest on the debt and so on and so forth. Right. Right. Like you said, art is this way of teaching you to think through things and feel things and kind of get you out of that structure. So you're not just memorizing rote and you're doing automatically this thing. And but then you have inventors and creators and all the people who can think outside of that box probably had some writing arts, liberal arts in their background. They probably didn't just strictly grow up in a structured way that society seems to be going. Yeah. I I don't know what you heard out in Arkansas, but out here in California, and I've been out here, I don't know, 23 years now, I guess, but Midwest boy. Really, I'm proud Midwesterner, so you know, don't don't lump me in with uh, with, <laughs> with 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 all the crazy uh, LA people. But anyway, although I've become one of them, the point is is that in California, you know, I guess it was years ago now when I moved out here, and I think this was nationwide, but it was it was steam, right? It was science, tech, English, math, you know, like you know whatever it was, right? And then I don't know, a few years later, they realized, wait a minute. We forgot the arts. It's STEAM now. So it went from STEM to STEAM. They decided to put the A in. But I mean, okay, fine. But at the end of the day, the fact that they forgot to put the arts in and to begin with speaks to the problem, right? Yeah, it's kind of a last thought. And so then it gets put on the lesser things that we need to teach. And it's sort of a, oh, well, it's part of the curriculum. So I guess we need to teach it this way. And then then you're back getting into that structure and again, and instead of it being important as a way to grow all those other things in your thinking. Yes, for sure. For sure. There's a book, I talk about it all the time, you know, Orbiting the Giant Hairball. It was written by Gordon McKenzie. Do you know it? Uh, no, I'm not. I'm not yeah, familiar with yeah. It. So you would you would probably love it. It's Gordon McKenzie, who's sadly not with us anymore. But Gordon was the chief creative officer for Hallmark Cards, and he wrote this book, Orbiting the Giant Hairball, which is essentially, uh, uh, I guess, fundamentally about maintaining your artistic integrity. You know, when you work for the man, right? When you work for a big company like Hallmark, like he did. But he would go talk to school kids. You know, he was always giving back and teaching and what have you. And and he in the book he talks about how he always starts his talks with kids with the same question, right? So every talk he gives, he starts by asking all the kids, "Who here is an artist?" And in kindergarten, he says every kid raises their hand, huh. right? Yeah. And then in first grade, he asks the same question about maybe half those kids raise their hand. And, yeah. you know, basically by third or fourth grade, you've got like one kid in the back sheepishly raising their their hand like, yeah, I'm an artist, you know, and it's just a tragedy. That's the real crime here. And it's a crime against humanity as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I think also there's this, you know, the whole left brain, right brain thing, you're one or the other. I can tell you that 
in my associate's degree, I did math and science and I just kicked ass in math. But then now I'm a creative and artist, but it's not I'm that or this. I'm both. I have yes. skills and talents in both. Yes. And yes. we can all be that way. Anyone can be, anyone really is an artist, whether it's in inventing tech or it is painting or photography. But it's through freeing yourself not to think that you have to be one way or the other. Like it seems those kids were really being set to one side or the other like that is just to say they can't all be artists and all be good in science and tech and everything. Yeah. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine a while back who's a lawyer, actually he's a very successful lawyer, and he was lamenting that he's not creative. And I said, are you kidding me? I'm like, are, you know, the fact that you are successful in your career to me on a certain level means you're creative because mm -hmm. you're outshining your colleagues. You're achieving important benchmarks in your craft and your medium. And in the kind of law that he practices, he has to be, I was arguing, I mean, you have to be creative to make your argument, to come up with an argument that wins. And it was just fascinating because I mean, he bought into that very conservative conventional view that creativity, being creative, being an artist, if you will, means that you paint or you draw or you, you're a photographer or you're a dancer or a musician. And it was fascinating because I think he's one of millions, right, of people who say, well, I'm not an artist, when in fact their garden is gorgeous or they're making incredible right. tables and chairs in their wood shop or they're cooking right. delicious meals with the fresh herbs they grew on the, on the yes. windowsill. And all of these things are artistry. Yeah, I actually can speak a little bit into the creativity in a legal way in that I took a legal writing class and my opening statement had to draw on both the technical things of law and everything, but it also had to be very creative because we speak to each other and we reach each other in stories. Mm, Almost mm -hmm. like every conversation we say, we're, we're telling stories to one another. And that's creative. I mean, mankind is creative and just having conversations. Yeah, story. That's such a powerful thing. And being able to capture one's attention, one's imagination. And I've talked a, a lot about this with our other artists, too, because as you and I were discussing before the show, artists are quite comfortable, right, in their studios, making art, whatever that art is, whether it's writing a book or, or painting a painting or whatever. And, you know, oftentimes they're not comfortable, right, on a microphone and being interviewed or, or if someone talks to them about something, asks them a, a question about their work. And I've said to, to artists so many times over the years how important being able to talk, tell a good story, how important that is, but really more to the point, to be able to talk about your work, mm -hmm. right, or your art. And I've said, listen, it's okay to be introverted. It's okay to hate people. I mean, heck, I hate people too. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, 
but it's not okay to be inarticulate about your work when someone asks. Like if there was ever a time for you to be able to animate and become talkative, it should be when someone asks about your work. And in fact, there are good examples of artists over the years who have been amazing storytellers and salespeople of their art. Jeff Koons comes to mind. I mean, some would argue this guy was far better salesman than an artist. I'm not saying that's true or untrue. I'm just saying that he is an excellent salesman, (laughs) right? And, you know, and maybe there are reasons for that. Clearly, everybody has their different strengths and weaknesses. But at the end of the day, like, I just feel like artists, when it comes to talking about their work, that's the time to animate and to tell a good story. Yes. And that actually has come up to, you know, I talked about my my difficulties in speaking in front of people and everything. And so I've been reminded recently in listening to, you know, another art workshop or art talk and everything that you need to talk up your art. You need to tell people about it. And I know I don't do that. I just put it out on social media and I will tell a story about whatever that art is in with that post. But when I'm sitting here in conversation with people, then I am hesitant, I think, to bring up my art. It could be because it's very personal to me and Mm -hmm. that it can be difficult to talk about something like that. It could be for some people that they're afraid that the other person's not going to be interested if you're telling a story and you've got your pictures to paint and your photographs to show and everything, I've found like among my friends, them just coming up to me and just saying to me, I really love the work you put out. I love your posts and I love how you tell a story and everything. And that's how I tell my story a lot is through my artist statements and everything that I. I'm constantly on the change, constantly working, I'm constantly evolving, but it's difficult, but it's something you, like you said, we need to be doing. We need to be talking about art. And if we really think that art is something that society is pushing down or thinking not as important, then we're not really doing our part to encourage the importance of that art if we're not talking about it ourselves. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I mean, artists have to be ambassadors of the arts, right? Artists are ambassadors of the arts, whether they realize it or not. And going out in the world and encouraging people and speaking about this issue is essential to breaking the issue down. You know, if everybody was talking to one person a day, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. just one person a day, How many millions of conversations would be happening if every artist talked to one person a day about the power of art, the importance of art, go trust yourself, go enjoy some art, don't think about it, just go do it. That would be a huge step in the right direction because millions of people every year would be encouraged and feel empowered in some way. And we'd start to see a change, I think. Yes, I really believe that even though I and probably the worst ambassador for art there is in not speaking to people. And it's that's why I 
may be hesitant to do something like a podcast interview or interview for art or whatever, but I will do it anyway because it's important and it gets me out of my shell and it gets me talking about something that I don't talk a lot with people and don't talk about to people as much as as I need to. Well, Hope Osborne, I think that's a beautiful place to wrap up our conversation today because you, my friend, have done such a an honor coming on and telling your story and talking about so many important things. And I hope the artists listening, the people listening are inspired by this. I believe they will be because I think you represent a lot of people out there who feel similarly. It's like, well, I'm shy or I'm uncomfortable or nobody cares or whatever it is. And that's so wrong, right? Because everybody has a story to tell. Everybody has something in their lives that other people need to hear and can relate to. And, you know, I'm reminded of that old Sunday school song that we used to sing at church back in the 70s about don't hide your light under a bushel. Right. And that's it. Everybody is a light of some kind, right? It meant to shine in the world. And the real tragedy, right, is when those lights become diminished because people they're feeling unworthy somehow. And if there's a message that we want everyone to, to take to heart is that they are indeed worthy of telling the world their story because the world needs to hear it. Yes, that is definitely true. That is definitely the message I would love for not only people who call themselves artists, but for just anyone to think about anyone to think about the story they have to tell and to be free to tell it. And it's been a great pleasure to talk to you about this. I actually don't get to talk to too many artists. And so there's been a real pleasure doing this. And I think I want people to take away that too. Indeed. Indeed. Well, Hope, you are welcome to come on the show anytime. You are now part, as one of our 2022 grant winners, you are part of our family. You are part of an amazing group of humans, and you are always welcome to come on and talk about anything that's on your heart, on your mind. The door is always open. Obviously, we've got a lot more to come. We're in the process of publishing an online exhibition featuring all the grant winners, yourself included. We've got some other things that we're working on to help honor our grant winners, because really, at the end of the day, we want the grant to be a platform to celebrate and elevate our winners and help them tell their stories and promote their work. And so if there's one thing most artists need that I've heard is exposure, is uh, amplification, is promotion. And we want to be able to be that uh, megaphone to tell the world about you and your amazing fellow grant winners. So it's just sometimes I pinch myself. I feel like I have the greatest job in the world that I get to be able to sit down and talk to incredible humans like you and be able to call you my colleague, my friend, and we're better with you and for you. And we're just so grateful to be able to sit down and and chat today. Now, are you, you know, because you're on a roll, Hope. I mean, you've won, at least you won our grant last year. Are you applying for any other grants this year? Yes, I actually, there's a new grant for Central Arkansans through the Wingate Foundation. Mm-hmm. It's an important part of the universities around here and in the museum. And it's a $10,000 grant 
and a year-long mentoring process and interaction with other artists and peer-to-peer and everything that I'm working on. And my grant writing skills, I hope, will <laughs> hope will get me there because that would be great to be able to worry a little less about finances and work more towards the art. Well, that's it, isn't it? Because at the end of the day, whether artists like it or not, we still have bills to pay, right? Like there's still Mm -hmm. rent to pay and we all want to be making art and and just be in the studio doing that all the time. But unfortunately, there is... (laughs) <laughs> There's that business side, right? Where mm-hmm. we've got to figure out how to bring in some money to pay those bills and finding a nice balance, right? Between the art making and the money making. <laughs> it's it's a challenge and it's a stressful place to be. It's not always fun, but it's, as they say, a necessary evil. And, you know, and being able to write a good grant, that is a, a powerful tool for artists to have in their toolbox because grants are one of the ways that artists are able to make that living. Right. And I really appreciate Not Real Art providing a grant for me and providing this platform. It's just, it's been exciting. Ah, uh, well, you're so welcome. And, and, and we're excited that you're part of our family. Thank you so much, Hope Osborne. You are a wonderful soul and uh, hope that you have a beautiful weekend. Do you have any plans? Are you making art this weekend? What are you doing? I haven't actually looked at the weather too much. I've been a little busy working on the financial part of things. Got it. Yes. (laughs) Necessary evil, (laughs) as we said. (laughs) Well, good luck robbing Peter to pay Paul. I do it all the time. It's an an art form unto itself. Don't go anywhere, Hope. Well, we're going to talk offline here, but you have a beautiful day, my friend. Thanks for sitting down with me. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for listening to the Not Real Art Podcast. Please make sure to like this episode, write a review, and share with your friends on social. Also, remember to subscribe so you get all of our new episodes. Not Real Art is produced by Crew West Studios in Los Angeles. Our theme music was created by Ricky Peugeot and Desi Deloro from the band Parlor Social. Not Real Art is created by We Edit Podcast and hosted by Captivate. Thanks again for listening to Not Real Art. We'll be back soon with another inspiring episode celebrating creative culture and the artists who make it.